invite Sam and Mel doing things a little bit different same same but different and now we're just going to take up our offering while we're getting ready and um, and we've said this we'll put the rose in the middle of the two thorns eh Sam (laughs) we said this before but um, (laughs) yeah we're prophetic not pathetic (laughs) but um, you know this is as we give our finances it's just another expression of our love for God and um I love giving. I love being able to give every aspect of my life. Um, And, you know, the easier and the quicker you sign up for the whole thing of just losing yourself, it just becomes a lot easier. There's no more of a struggle. There's no more wrestle. It's not hard because what makes it hard is because you're wrestling with still living. And once you relinquish your life and you die to the old life and you get birthed with a new life, everything becomes simple <laughs> it's cold eh Terry <laughs> 10 degrees <laughs> and so I just want to encourage us all as we continue to go forward if this is an area that holds you or binds you or keeps you in fear as you relinquish that fear leaves and love comes in and you start understanding the why and then the life of what it is and you know, in the New Testament, it's give your entire being to him and watch him take and make you into his image. And, you know, that's what we want to unpack um, this morning. And I'm not sure if you have gone on and heard last Sunday night's uh, dialogue between us as a panel. And um, we're really looking at conformed to his image. And that is the calling of God for his church. So often people say, what is the will of God? What is his will for my life? You may have said that yourself. Um, And it's not an individual thing. It's a calling for a body. It's a purpose, firstly, for his body. Yes, we are all a group of individuals that God meets individually, and then he puts us together. And so what we are as individuals, we are as a body. What we are as a body, we are as individuals. And so whenever you see this word calling and purpose, predominantly it always has his purpose, his calling before it. And so that takes away confusion because there's a lot of confusion in the body of Christ around what is his will for my life. Well, Jesus never said that. Jesus said, I'm here to do the will of the Father because he knew what the will of the Father was because he spent time with the Father. And we are also to know without any doubt what the will of the Father is. He wrote it down so it no longer is a mystery. And yet in the body, there's this confusing thing around what it is. And you hear people say, well, it's this, it's that, it's this. And then you go and you hear different churches have different purposes and different callings. And that used to confuse me as a very new believer because I went, I don't understand this because I don't see this and this. What I see in this is his calling, his purpose for the body, which is conformed into his image through knowing him. Okay. It even says in Ephesians, Paul said, I, my prayer is you would know the hope of his calling, his inheritance in the saints. And so what it does, it alleviates all this mystical aspect of what this all is, and it makes it very simple and brings it into one purpose. God's good like that, isn't he? So he makes what we think is confusing, and he brings it down to say, man, you guys are confusing it all. It's very simple. It's this, it's my purpose, my dream, my calling, I'm the creator, you're the creation, I had from the beginning of time designed for why I birthed you, and why I also put you in history at a particular time to be with everybody. It's a great plan, do you want to know it? And we don't get to determine what it is, we don't decide what it is, we just surrender to what it is and start living for it. That is where life, light, and love all are found. And then it becomes easy because you're no longer wrestling for your will because your will got broken and you surrendered it. 
which keeps you, if that's still looking, looking for this individual will that you think is for you as an individual instead of actually being in the purpose of God as a body. That's a lot of words, eh? Can you hear what I said, though? Greg, are you saying that God doesn't have an individual works for me to do on earth? No, I didn't say that, did I? I used the word calling and purpose. So there are works that God has for us to do as individuals, spirit-led and empowered works. Yes, but that is not your calling, and that is not your purpose. Those are your works. Your calling is to be conformed into his image. Our calling is to be conformed into his image. When we start getting conformed into his image through the power of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual word of God, spirit and truth, we then start coming into the understanding of the way of God and how God outworks everything. All of a sudden, then he starts presenting these works to you which you now can achieve because you're actually being conformed into the fellowship with oneness of the power of God. So you're no longer trying to be a Christian, you actually just start being a Christian. Who needs to hear that this morning? It's no longer effort. It's no longer you striving, trying. It's you just be. Why? Because you're being conformed into the image through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the surrender of your life. So what you are able to live is just the outworking of his work within you. Can you see how a whole body entering into the purpose of God now looks on the earth? Every one of us with the gift God has supplied, fulfilling its purpose and working together as a body, rather than pulling in different directions, trying to find this individual will and calling which keeps us individualistic. So, throughout the seven weeks of lockdown, I'm not sure what yours was like, mine was awesome. It really was. God took me deeper into him. He started revealing things. The word I gave about the Holy Spirit being our teacher, he's been that for me for a while, but he was showing me things I've never seen before. And I've come out more separated from where I was before and more in him, which makes it a bit scary because you have to try and figure out how you handle that within you without sounding like a crazy man. Because I want to scream and I want to cry out and I want to make everyone aware of a reality. But when you start screaming and yelling, people go, that guy's a bit weird. So it's, Lord, help me with wisdom be able to articulate this, what you're showing me, in a way that's simple, sharp, and focused. He said, tell my people my will, my purpose, their calling which is in Romans 8, 28 to 31. But it's everywhere, really. And if you got the email, what we want to unpack this morning is this whole aspect of disciples who are being made into his image. And there are these two obstacles that get in the way of that. Who can tell me what they are? Relationships. self there's one more because self is the main root of both the relationship problem and the other problem. What was it, sorry? Uh, yeah, but from the scripture, there's two things. Pride is in that self. Possessions. So there's an issue because Jesus says, we're going to look at, he says, very hard to be my disciple because he says, you cannot be my disciple unless you hate the people beside you. Bit of a strong word. I gave birth to one of them. Yeah, I know. But they can't come between me and you. And then these things called possessions that get in the way too. He's saying there's nothing wrong with people. There's nothing wrong with possessions. But what he's saying is if these two aspects of your life are your number one, then they're going to get in the way of me being your number one. And that's not good for you. Because when I'm not your number one, you can't receive the life that's in me for you because you're prioritizing other life. So he's not trying to be horrible. He's just trying to make a very stark reality and says it in a way that hopefully would awaken us by using words like hate. Because that's a strong word, isn't it? That I'm to hate Danielle, hate Madeline, and hate Lily, hate my mum, hate my brothers. If I don't hate them, I cannot be a disciple. 
I thought you were for family. I am. Mine. Mine are of spirit. And I'm hoping every flesh physical family member actually transitions into being a spiritual family member. Adam doesn't just stay as a flesh physical family member because I've come to divide a line between flesh and spirit. And I'm looking for her. And I call her many names. Who can tell me one of the names God's call his people he's looking for? Yep, but what's a one name? Give me one name. Bride. What's another one? Sons. Body. Beloved. Yep. Nation. Priests. Going to be. In fact, we are, because we are beloved, we are betrothed, which means we are. We just haven't had the ceremony yet. So then it becomes how faithful are we to our wedding covenant? That's a tension, isn't it? And see, none of this is possible through your own strength. And here's the thing. When the truth starts to get declared, this is what my flesh used to do. It might just be time to go. <laughs> or I start to squirm a little bit. And I start to look for the exit or the toilet. All of a sudden, I need to go to the toilet or something. Phone goes because your flesh wants to run away from the truth that will crucify it. But the truth will make you free. So when the truth is articulated through power because one has revelation of the truth, it's an opportunity for the truth to crucify any flesh that's here. What for, Greg? To bring you into life. So should we go there? All righty. Let's go to, you have your Bibles, Luke 14. And we're going to start at 25 and 35 and we're together just going to unpack this and see where we go. Is that cool? And um, these guys are awesome and know him like I know him to a measure. And we want to be able to share with you and hear from you the measure you have. And together, there'll be a big piece of food given at the end of this to eat. Are we hungry? Thirsty? Awesome. All right. Luke 14, verse 25. Now large crowds were going along with him, him being Jesus. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or the, for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that is a crucial verse, the last verse, to hearing everything you've just heard. Because if we can't hear what he's really saying, then we're going to hear the wrong thing. And we'll hear our version of it. And the potential for a whole lot of fear to be created from this verse is right there. But there's also the potential for massive faith. Because faith comes through hearing the word of God. But it's a spiritual word that you hear, not a natural word. 
So when you start reading things like, man, I've got to hate these people, I've got to hate this, this, do, do I literally have to go and sell everything? Do I have to go home right now and give it all away? Well, what's he saying? Maybe. Maybe not. What is he really trying to get to? While at the same time, what he's trying to get to may actually ask you to do some things like that because those things have a hold on your heart. So it's very important that we can hear what he's really saying so then we can actually start living out what he's saying because we don't try to live out what he's saying. He reveals it in us and we just start living. Why? Because we're being conformed into his image through his power. Not through my mental ability to understand words. Paul said, your faith does not rest, is not to rest on man's wisdom. Man's ability to make this thing reasonable, rational, logic. It's not where you rest your faith. Faith rests on my power to bring to light everything that's concealed within me into you. No power, no revelation, no revelation, no manifestation, no manifestation, zero demonstration of the true demonstration of Jesus on the earth. Just flesh works. Human works, human ability, trying to be Christ-like. That's not where we want to be. Cool? All right. Let's hit verse 25, because I think there's quite a bit in just verse 25 alone. Sam. Share some of your thoughts, mate. Well, verse, oh, good morning, everyone, firstly. <laughs> um, verse 25 says, Now large, large crowds were going along with him, and he turned to them. And I find it it's interesting that where Jesus starts off is that he's got a large crowd following him, you know? And he is totally comfortable to address a large crowd in this way. He's not interested in trying to draw a crowd after him. He's actually interested in the crowd that is following him, moving, like we've seen in some of Greg's emails, from the crowd to the core. So he was never about building a massive, pumping organization with the most people possible. He was always into making disciples. And that was the first thing that, that struck me. You know, this is Jesus and the title in the NASB is Discipleship Tested. Because when you start to read down, he's, he's saying to them, guys, it's awesome that you're looking to, to listen to me and to observe the signs and the wonders that I'm doing. But I need to tell you right up front what this is all about, because if you don't, you're going to get deeply disappointed, hurt, potentially bitter, frustrated as soon as we move into um, what discipleship actually genuinely looks like. Because I've got something in mind for you um, that if you're not interested in, that's okay, but it's better that you know now up front so that you don't uh, get halfway in like we hear further on down and decide to back out, which we'll probably uh, touch on in a little bit uh, in a few minutes. So. Yeah, um, yeah. The the again and again, I'm I'm reminded of how God is so so interested in refining us and bringing us back to the original, back to the first place with him and back to our true identity and um, the process of discipleship or being a disciple it actually starts sieving out every false identity that we have or that um, we we put our, our identity in and that can be even within relationships in our lives and so it, it seems to confronts you know looking at the mass it, it causes a confrontation to to test as you say test um, if we if we really want to go where he wants to go, but the the process of it is actually refining and, and bringing us back to the true identity. And I think discipleship, you know, or a disciple is not what we do. It's actually our identity. It's part of who we are as a body. Um, so, yeah, first, first verse. That's good. I, you know, I think the key words in here are go along. You know, I go along and watch the Phoenix play. Well, I've been once this season. Um, but I go along. So i got to pay to get in. May or may not have a scarf on or a shirt on. May or may not jump up and get excited. Not too much excited watching the Phoenix game, but, you know, 
There is watching Liverpool. But I may or may not, but I go along. But I'm not on the field. I'm not playing the game. And it's very easy just to go along. It's very easy to get lost in the crowd, hide in the crowd, do nothing in the crowd. But I'm sort of there, but I'm not really. So I turn up, so I feel part of it, but really I'm not in it. And it's the difference between raised with Christ and raised in Christ. Raised with or in? Are you, have you, are you raised with or in? Because they are extremely different postures, but sound the same. When you go along, you're raised with. When you're actually in, you're in. And he's trying to take a crowd who go along who are with and bring them to him to be in him. You see, with is predominantly where Christ and his life is on the outside of you. So he may be in you in seed form, but you don't live with him being in you. You live from you being in you. So although you have the Spirit in you, you don't walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, hear in the Spirit. Really, it's pointless, the Spirit being there because you're not accessing the things of the Spirit because you don't know how to because you're just going along. So going along means you can participate to a measure. And so we can just come along here but never be in because in requires something different. And this is the challenge I have and Danny has is raising two children in what we'd, we would say a Christian home, but I can't raise them in Christ. I can only raise them with Christ. Something in their heart has to want to connect with his heart and something in their heart has to activate and come to the end of itself for them to actually be raised in Christ where now there's no separation between them and him or me and him because I'm in him. And I would encourage you to go have a look in especially Paul's letters, and I don't know how many times he says it in one letter, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You see, Christ can be in you. That doesn't mean you're in Christ. Or you can be in Christ to a tiny measure, but that in Christ needs to grow, so really you're in Christ. So Christ in you, the hope of glory, enables you to live a life of glory, not just living as you always lived, as a follower because you go along rather than in. So there's a transaction of power that's required. And it's all tied to the way you hear. And so Jesus knows every heart, doesn't he? He knows the crowd. He knows the core. And he calls people. You heard it. If you're thirsty, come. I want to take you from being on the externals out there and I want to bring you to me. Come and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle of heart. And I have this thing called spiritual rest. For what? Your soul. We're not allowed to answer. <laughs> There's going to be a bit of Q&A as we go. For your soul. So what can you t- what is your soul made up of? Mind, will, and emotion. Do you know where that's where life sits in your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. How did we cope seven weeks in lockdown? What were your emotions saying? What was your mind doing? What did your will want to do? Could you keep the government's laws or did you have to break one because you couldn't cope? See, this is what gets tested when he puts you in a position or a posture where things getting shut down he says I wonder what's in the soul realm of my people I wonder if they have my mind so they're not anxious and worried about many things because they've come to me and I'm teaching them and I'm transforming them they're being conformed literally into my mind of Christ I wonder how they're getting on with their feelings are they feeling disconnected do they need this to cope see God has allowed the coronavirus he knows all things. He's not caught out by anything. It's just whether we actually receive in the test everything he wants to do for why he's allowed it. 
because he's looking to perfect disciples who walk like he walked. The only way he can do that most of the time is by putting us in a test. His first place position is that you and I would hear the word, but sometimes we're so far away from his voice because we're going along, but we're not close. And so we can't hear. And yet at the same time, you can be this close and not hear the word because wasn't that the disciples when he spoke? So this going along, we have to be apprehended by. And if you're a going along follower, you have to be arrested by it. And I'm hoping that could be today. And you go, no more is Greg Simnor going to be a going along. Do you know why? Do you know who getting robbed? Greg Simnor. Of everything that's in Christ for. Um, and I think in reading through this passage, that's such a defining mark because if you hear through the wrong lens, you'll hear hate, 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 hate. And actually that is, you, you'll hear something that he's not saying. You know, and the entire intention of this passage is not to push them away. It's actually to draw them into something much greater and much deeper that they don't currently know. You know, He wants them to be part of the family, but it's his family. It's not their perception or version of what family looks like. And he wants to take them from being on the outside to on the inside. But there's something, there's a process that they need to go through or that we all need to go through um, to engage and enter in in, in that way. Hey? Absolutely, and I think one of the the strongest points I see about hating your mother, your brother, um, you know, your your family relationships, and using such strong emphasis is because of what what they can encourage is a going along and listening to others over listening to him. In Deuteronomy fourteen six, I had a bit of a, a chuckle of how they how how it's worded, but it says, "If your very own brother, daughter, son, or listen to this, or the wife," I was like, "The wife." It's not like your wife or my love. It's like the wife. I thought that was a bit funny. Um, or closest friend secretly entices you and let us go worship other gods. Do not yield to them or listen. Show no pity. Do not spare them. Or do not shield them. And the first person I thought about as the wife wasn't me, but it was um, Eve, actually. And, you know, it was the first example of man listening and yielding to another voice and not acting and listening on, on, the, on the Father's voice, the Creator's voice. And I think that's, that's what's being really emphasized is that Jesus is saying, hear me. Go, go, yield to me, and do not, do not shield, do not nurture any other relationship. All relationships should be subordinate to me. Um, I am your first place priority, because because I speak and I create, and the reality of your identity that I want to bring you into is going to require a separation. To have complete loyalty to Christ and what he wants to do, his purpose, there has to be a, sev- a, a clear severing of all other relationships that, that we can find our identity in, that we can put our, um, you know, count as, uh, you know, admirable or, or whatever, but have a greater influence, and that can actually steer us away from our true identity in him. And I think, so... Uh, just with the hate thing, it's not really hate then, is it? Because it's an exaggeration. Well, and, uh, because God isn't asking people to hate other people. Well, I think, actually, it's, it is, but it isn't. It's not an exaggeration in terms of the intensity and the fervency and the, and the spiritual separation between um, our... our a wholehearted, devoted love for him and one another. In fact, I don't think that the word hate can even adequately bring to light the intensity that, um, you know, that Jesus is bringing to light here. But for clarity, because the footnote says it is by comparison of your love for him. So it's not hatred in the sense of how you would normally hate if you are 
raging, you're against someone and you want to drag someone down to, you know, it's not that kind of hate, but it, it's, it, it doesn't lack the punch and the intensity when he's sharing that. And the, the verse that Mal's referencing in Deuteronomy, where Jesus isn't just going off on a limb and creating something new, he's actually bringing to light this, you know, the word of God that has always been there. And in that, in that scripture, he, um, he talks specifically about these family relationships. And he actually says that the consequences for living in that way is that the person has to be put to death. Now, to me, like, so when he talks about hate, like, we're, we're talking about something that he's actually deeply, deeply passionate about, you know? And so the word seems really intense, but actually... I think that we are totally comfortable with that in other environments, but when it comes to God, all of a sudden it can be a little bit like intense, you know? We could say, like, I just imagine it in my in my marriage. Like if if I was to say to like because remember we were talking about hate in comparison to a love for someone else. If I said to Tess, hey, Tess, I'm I'm sorry, I actually have I'm actually more romantically attached and attracted to another woman. How would that go down in a marriage? I'm not committing adultery, but even the fact that I'm feeling that way, we've got some really deep, we've got some real serious issues in our marriage, right? And so to say, in my marriage, it's actually exclusively Tess and I physically, but also internally. We are, um, you know, I've, I've been set apart physically from every other woman because I've been joined to her, right? I'd say, would we not say that that's absolutely reasonable, acceptable, right? Um, and anything other than that would be, we'd, we'd really be in trouble in our physical marriage, wouldn't you say? So we're totally, <laughs> thank you. Alison <laughs> is just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> we're totally comfortable with that level of devotion and separation in a physical sense. And to me, the only reason why we would read these verses and think that's a bit intense is actually because we lack knowledge of the wedding, the ultimate marriage covenant, and the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. If it's marriage, can he not require from us absolute wholehearted devotion that any other person, any other thing, any other position should not in any way come and interfere with who he's called us to be? In fact, this is, this is bigger than natural marriage. He's actually physically created us. The only reason we have breath is for his purpose. And he's established before the beginning of creation a marriage covenant between us and him. And so if you know that and you come across a, a verse that says you must hate in comparison to your love for me, every man, woman, child, um, it, you know, every career, everything that you could be a part of, you, you read that and you're like, oh my goodness, that absolutely is exactly how I feel because I could never love another person in light of the marriage uh, relationship in light of the fervency and the intensity in the life that he's brought me into in my relationship with him, there's no way I could love another person in that way. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, but. <laughs> Yeah, that, and that's not what Sam's saying. No, no, but that appears to be what the verse is saying. Yeah, and, and this is this thing, you know, it's where he finishes on the last part of spiritual hearing is so important um, because the challenge in all this is like our first point of call is always understanding, but that's not God's. God is knowing. So this is what man does. Man goes, if I understand, I'll know. God goes, if you know, you'll understand. And our human heads really hurt because we're taught from very young, understand, understand, get understanding. How does that all work? How does that work? How does that work? And in the world, it's right. You don't wait there and go, show me how to build the house through knowledge. No, you figure out by learning, understanding how it works by gleaning off someone else. But in God, you have to wait 
relinquish you and say, show me so I can know, so then I can understand. So only when you actually experience the truth being revealed do you have any knowledge that actually helps you. Outside of that, you won't have understanding. So what you'll do is you'll hear, you'll interpret through your own mind and go that way, and you'll go the wrong way, and you've left with a complete misunderstanding of him and his way. Hence, we are to be spiritual people. Natural people do not appraise the things of the Spirit. The challenge is, I'll just say it, if you're a going-along follower, you may be only able to hear through the flesh. So you hear the wrong thing. And you leave with the wrong impression. And then here's what can happen is you end up walking away from a body you're supposed to be part of because you heard the wrong thing, thinking they're preaching all sorts of rubbish. But it was your hearing. You see, what's happening here is, do you think Jesus should have to compete for your heart? Do you really believe that? Is he? Terry, we're, we're not, though. We're not. We're not putting it on hate. It sounds like that. Sure, sure. Shouldn't we be interpreting it as to what Jesus is saying rather than just read the verse and say, This is what Jesus says, yeah. and you need to hate your, sure, your, but your, your, your son. Yeah, I know that's what we're doing now. But even when you're talking about it, you think, Oh, I've already read half a line about this whole talk thing. What's wrong? Yeah. And that's, so that's to bring you to seek Him. I mean, I understand what Isn't it? That's what we're trying to unpack, I think, in, in, in sharing that. And so it's, it's, it's literally that, yes, does he say you're to hate the person beside you? Not in a way that's violent, but are you to hate the fact that flesh is separating you from me? Yes. Does God love flesh or hate flesh? What does flesh do? Separates you from him. So he's saying hate the fact that you love your flesh loves these things more than me. I want to crucify your flesh so you can actually fall in love with me so I'm not competing with you for my affection. Why? So then you can actually have my life in you because at the moment, while you love these other things from your flesh, it's holding you and binding you from actually loving and knowing who I am, which means you then can't live the way I've designed you to live. And it's interesting because Sam touched on it what makes this hard is if you don't have the future revelation of why God, then it's very hard because you're hearing stuff without a picture of what the words are pointing to. This is what the scriptures do. We try to find life in the words. The words point you to life. So through what we're saying, and this is part of my preaching, I never say understand what I'm saying. I hope that actually you'll go seek the Holy Spirit because you've heard something you may not understand. And you go, I need to go see if that's what he says because that's outside of my current. So I'm actually going to search and seek so he can become my teacher rather than just wait for Simnel to say something. Okay. So this is what he's saying here. It's like this context. If, if you understand the bride, if you've got a revelation, not a mental agreement, a revelation... You see why Jesus is so passionate, because if you just turned one page, you'd see him talking to the Israelites about a parable of a wedding dinner. And so what you're seeing here is Jesus addressing the Israelites. Turn the page, he's addressing the church. So he says this to the Israelites, you're all invited to a wedding banquet. And three people say this, I just got married it's funny because you've been invited to a wedding, so you're putting your physical wife ahead of your spiritual wedding. Is that what you're doing? That's why I can't come to the wedding banquet because I just got married. Isn't that back to front? When the whole thing is about a wedding banquet between you marrying him. So you're prioritizing a physical person over me. Come on, I gave you life that you would be married to me. Second person says, I just bought an oxen. 
So now we value a cow over God. And the other one says, I just bought land. So now I'm, I'm valuing a physical land over God. So I can't come, but the invitation went out. Then he says, go into the highways and byways and find others who have been invited. Turn the page. Hey, disciples, learn from your Israelite fellow man what not to do and what to do. Because you've both been invited to the same invitation. So, hey, don't love a relationship more than me. That's really what he's saying. Don't put someone else above me. Why? Because it'll hinder you. Don't have possessions as your number one above me. God gives us all things, doesn't he? So he gives us one another for marriage. He gives us one of the possessions we have, but those things start to bind and choke those things. And so what is of God and good starts to actually become something and kills us because we don't know how to handle those things. So he's trying to say to you, hey, be weary, be weary, be weary. This is why I gave you life. Let me show you what the future looks like that you can know now. Isaiah said, I'll prophesy the end. So let me tell you what the end is so your beginning is good. That's right. That's right. And so in the middle, I'm going to conform you into my image. So as I start to make you, your eyes get open to why I'm making you, which is at the end. Right. Yes. I just want to also say that, you know, there are examples of Christ literally what might seem... Um, hateful or kind of a little bit like that's a bit rough was actually the him demonstrating what he means by this with with uh, relationships so for instance when he is is speaking and saying you know I need to go to go to the cross and I have to endure endure death um and and Peter rebukes him Jesus then so so it says that Peter pulled Jesus aside Right, quietly and rebukes him. <laughs> so what does Jesus do? It says that Jesus looks at the disciples and publicly, openly rebukes Peter. And what does he say? He says, get behind me, Satan. Your mind is on the things of man, not of God. Right there, we see a perfect example of Christ's complete loyalty to the Father, complete loyalty to his purpose, that he unashamedly, openly has no no worry or doesn't restrain anything from rebuking an interesting, not Peter, but Satan. The rebuke, the, the two differences between the rebuking of Peter rebuking Jesus to Jesus in the quiet and Christ rebuking Satan who is operating in Peter. The mind, you got your mind on the man, on, on things of man. And Guys, I think we've got to get a little bit comfortable with this. We've got, to, we've got to understand and comprehend that the powers and principalities are at play constantly in everyday lives. And the purpose that God is wanting to continue in us is the most serious thing. And, and <laughs> when we know we have been saved by God, we know that what he says goes. <laughs> And that it is power to bring us to the reality of what he's calling us into. So we get, we get comfortable with these things. Pick up your cross daily. You know, I was thinking, we're living in a world, you know, it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of the world. When it says pick up the cross daily, it's that the instrument of death that crucifies the flesh that crucifies the self-ambition, the self-centeredness, that you no longer say, what's mine is mine. Can you, can you imagine, well, we don't have to imagine, this is what we hear coming from the world today. It's my body versus my baby. Can you imagine Jesus saying, it's my body, forget everyone else on the cross. We know that we have to endure the, crucifi- the, 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 the marks of crucifixion of the flesh to endure to bring life forth. And if we, if we, that's the cost of discipleship. 
is, is being is knowing that he wants to crucify this, the, this, the false self, the false reality that all these other things are the sources of life so that we would allow life, true life, to come forth from us. Because it's the cross that justified us. It's the cross that created equality. Sorry. If we sorry, if we read in Ephesians one, two, three, and we hear everything that's been poured into us as the church, the riches, the inheritance, everything, then we understand that the, the symbol of justice is these two scales. That the weight of Christ has come into us, the input has come in. And then it says walk worthy. In the same manner, which means the output's got to weigh what the input is. And the, the weighing scale is the cross. And, and you know, I, I was just going to say, um, thanks, Terry. We're not afraid of this. Okay, so even what Terry was doing, asking questions, is good. This is discipleship. This is what it is lived out. We're not here to perform. We're not trying to get the spark. We're trying to engage as a body which is part of what we've been talking about, participation. Um, what I should have said, we are going to have questions, and we'll have those questions now. I'm aware of the time, but even there's like maybe a couple of questions that you may want to seek clarity on or further clarification. So just whip your hand up, and Rochelle's got a mic, and Kirk's got a mic, and we can... Uh, sorry, not Kirk, Danny. And um, this is part of what God's saying is open it up, dialogue. Because if you leave not hearing or hearing the wrong thing, and Chris Logan. I think we had almost a point of clarification here um, of isn't what you're talking about with love and hate, uh, with hate, um, like when Jesus speaks to, to Peter um, after he's risen and he says, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Um, and, and isn't it, could it be similar that where the word love isn't necessarily meaning what we might read when we read love, um, could that be similar to what's happening here with hate, where the the word in the original language might mean something slightly different to what our English definition of hate might be? Did I get that right? Yeah. The, the word means to, to detest in such a way where it puts such a divide between that thing and something that's so much greater. So it, there is, the, the word is so strong and so severe, but it has a comparative element to it. And that's what we're trying to, that's what we're trying to describe and use this typology. And I, I just feel like marriage is the best one, you know, like that if, that if you don't have an exclusive devotion to your physical wife, but you have at the same level of devotion for another woman or romantic affection for another woman, there's something that's warped and, and weird about that, you know? And so he's saying that it, there needs to be a separation between what, what your heart for natural, normal, earthly things and, and him, you know? And so I think um, that, yeah, that's the kind of clarity, hopefully, on that, what that word means. And what, what helps is, is a greater context of the whole purpose. Okay, so it's no different to do not think I've come to bring peace. But I give you peace. Well, which one is it, Jesus? Are you giving me peace or you have come to break peace? No, both. So do not think I've come to do not think I've come to bring peace. I've come to divide. Uh, I'm going to separate a father from a son and a mother from uh, her daughter-in-law might understand that but more in the natural I don't know but you know <laughs> and so it's like here's another passage here's another one if you love a father son mother child more than me you're not worthy of me but I thought your blood made me worthy yeah it does but you're not fit for purpose for why I created you that's what the word means worthy that word axios means fit you're not fit for the purpose of what? Well, if you're not loving the groom with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, what might you not be fit for? A marriage. 
So he wants to make us fit. He wants to conform us to be fit. He's done everything and everything that church needs for us to be fit, but we must surrender. And so, yeah, and this is what you've got to hear, you know, and this is what the problem is because we're we're using English words to describe a spiritual word. See, Jesus said this is about spiritual words, spiritual thoughts. Paul said this. And you need ears to hear the word. So don't get tangled in hate. Hear what Sam is saying. That's right. Okay. What, what happens when we start talking about verses that say there are some eunuchs that choose to be eunuchs and there are some eunuchs that are made eunuchs by men and there are some that become eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake? What if we're talking about people who would even give up their sexuality for the sake of the intense devotion to a king or a ruler or someone that they're serving. Some of these typologies that Jesus uses in our modern context are just somewhat, they're almost bizarre, you know? But they, they're, they're highlighting and they're bringing to light. He's not talking about physical. He's talking about a spiritual reality that's for us to enter into. And he's doing his best to describe to these people here in physical words something that actually isn't physical at all. It's about wholehearted devotion to Christ, you know, and that's what he says in Second Corinthians, you know, that you know that he's he's concerned that the church, that the people of God, would be led astray in their minds, similar to what Mal was saying with Peter, from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. So when we're talking about hate, what we're saying is don't be led astray in your mind from the simplicity and the purity, the wholehearted devotion to Christ. Let that be the most important thing to you. So, It's amazing because if we see things wrong, we often look at what we're losing rather than what we're gaining. And so if we think about, hey, you know, we love our wives more than him or we love our children and things like that, we're actually looking at what we're losing. But you think about it, when we lose that and we love him and we become one with him and we're filled with his love, we suddenly love our wives with his love. We're able to love our children with his love. We're able to love strangers with his love. So we're actually gaining, we're not losing. So it's something really beautiful. Chris, what are we fulfilling when we love like that? We're fulfilling his commandment. So if we're not... In his love, loving, we can't fulfill his commandment. Correct. Yeah. Anyone think that might be an issue? The Lord of heaven gives his people a command to love him with all and love people as he loves those people. Can you hear the weight of the word? And that's why we have to repent, we have to turn, because that's his work for us. So here's the first work for the church outside of believing. It's loving. But it's loving people as Jesus Christ loves people. What would that look like in America right now? Who's praying for the policeman? Who's hating the policeman? Who thinks the policeman's the scum of the earth? Isn't he just like us? A broken man that needs compassion and love and healing and he's probably broken and he's a man expressing anger because he's messed up. Isn't that mankind? But it's whether we can actually be that people group rather than we throw stones with everyone else going, praise the Lord, throw That's not who we're called to be. You see, we're called to a standard beyond the earth that none of us can enter into. None of us. None of us are worthy. None of us can enter into it until but God. For I was dead in my sin and iniquity, perishing. But God saw, came through power, rescued darkness to light said, now live as the light. Live in the way of light. Do not live as if you're still in darkness. Live because you are now light. 
It's a whole different way of living to the 29 years I lived my life as Greg Simnel, where I loved my father, I loved my mother. In fact, I hated Christ. Let's spin it. I hated Christ. I didn't want a bar of him. He came, nah, man, living for me. Thanks, see ya. We actually all do in the flesh. None of us are good. Come on, this is what the word says. There's a revelation that's got to bring and birth this church, not a church that go along, a church who are in. And so we want to unpack that. We're going to, one more, okay, one more, and then we'll call it a day. But we'll go through, we're going to come back next week, we're going to unpack this and rip it. Um, What a treat to be together. (laughs) I think um, when you ask the question, I love how you did that for Terry, uh, Greg, I think that has made made my day. Because if you ask a question and you have the courage to ask a question, you come to that place of maybe getting an answer. And do you want to hear the answer? And I think, and I don't know why I'm saying a burrito, but I love burritos. Because they're all covered up, and you've got to bite into it before you get to see what's in and inside it, Nick's getting all excited about cooking us burritos together. Now, I'll, I want to say the question is so key, and my father, earthly father, always used to say, Jeremy, no question's a bad question. And, you know, you, you get the courage to ask the question. The question leads you on this trail. And when you understand God like a burrito, that it's, it's wrapped in, You have to wrap every question that you have with the question that you might have never asked yourself and never really dealt with in a a way of remembering because God's not a God who doesn't want to give us a good burrito. He says it like this, I stretched my hand out to you all day long. And people have got to understand that God's in the day all day long. There's no night in the kingdom of heaven. And I asked the question and God revealed to me, how did I come to you? first and it's got to be you, you've got to encapsulate everything they're saying from the front and simply from was I chosen ask your father in heaven am I chosen and you will feel encapsulated with hearing things that are super hard you're chosen first and that's really important because when you're chosen and you know that you're loved and you are, you'd, your father's boy, he's always done it from, I chose you first. And that's the first thing that makes us go, I'm chosen to be married to you. And he didn't choose you. You know, he says to the woman, where are your accusers? And so Rock Church, here today, where are your accusers? Know that you're chosen first. And from that place, when you hear me to hate anything else or put something before me, you know, one thing that led me from chosen was, why were they blinded for my benefit? And it dropped me to my knees that there's a way that seems right to Jeremy. Jeremy likes burritos just with this in it. But Jeremy, there's so much more and that I have in your burrito, there's so much more that I can add to that burrito if you receive from me. So encapsulate that today with that you're chosen first and then this other stuff will start hitting. That's cool, mate. What, um, you know, if you've got questions that come up during the week, bring them. 
And like we've been talking about, this is to be not just a spectator forum. We want to do more of this. We want to do more interaction because it's a place of learning. It's a place of growing. It's a place of equipping. You know that word equip means to be perfected. So the fivefold that God has given this house that we're working towards is perfecting us all into the image so then we can live as he lived and be the demonstration. So bring your questions. Grapple. Seek, ask, and knock. That cool? All right. Um, five o'clock tonight, we're back in the cafe for banquet. If this is new, banquet's a little bit like this. We're round tables as well, and sometimes we have questions on some sheets of paper. So come out at five o'clock and continue to let's wrestle together. Have an awesome day. <laughs>